0: Welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, episode, wait a minute, heptadecaphobia, folks, should close your ears, episode 17. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't know, that means you're afraid of the number 17. My name is David Brook. I am a co-host with my fellow partner.
1: Hello, my name is Forrest with two R's, and my name is spelled with three R's. Really? I think it's very confusing, but technically correct. I am so
0: confused. How many R's are in my name? Just one, right? Yeah, I have one R.
1: My middle. If you ever need my another R, name just has an R.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Secret. On episode twenty-three, we will reveal his middle <laughs> name.
1: <laughs> the number twenty-three. <laughs>
0: this is the show where we talk about the latest comic news, talk about the best comics of last week, look ahead to next week, have some fun segments using comic book characters, talking about comic book characters, talking about comic books in the industry. Basically, it's a love of comics. And every week we talk about the news everyone's talking about. There was a lot of news this week, but only a couple things bubbled to the top for us. One of the biggest things was Marvel releasing their solicitations for July, Mm -hmm. which had a couple of uh, interesting developments, some of which we already kind of knew, because Marvel tends to uh, release some of their solicit news a couple weeks before the biggest news... So, for instance, Jane Foster becoming Valkyrie. We already knew this for a while now, but uh, we got the full solicitation for that. And it kind of comes at a time, which is funny, because she's actually a pretty prominent character in War of the Rums right now, in the second issue that came out just a few days ago. Yeah, Are you excited for Valkyrie, by the way? I don't, I don't know who is.
1: I wish that it were, like, Valkyrie from the movies. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like, there's this woman of color that is so, so popular in the movies. Like, Tessa Thompson is amazing, and everyone loves her, and everyone loves the relationship she has with Brie Larson on Twitter and stuff. Jane Foster, not as popular in the movies. And, you know, this is kind of indicative of the split between the movies and the comics, I guess. But they're just, like, forcing Jane Foster into this Valkyrie role. And I understand that Jane Foster is important, having been, you know, the female Thor, which everyone... Absolutely loved myself included, but it seems weird to me. Like, can she just be a new character? Does she have to be taking over these mantles for other characters constantly? It seems, I don't mm. know, like coloring in the lines with Jane Foster rather than Jane Foster being her own character,
0: right? I, I don't know, and it's strange. Forrest is sort of referencing, um. The fact that a character died in epi- uh, episode in issue number two of War of the Realms, mm-hmm. uh, so we assume Jane is taking over that that helm. Yeah, right? but yeah, it's I don't know. It, it's really cool to see how Jane is still a hero even in human form, right? She doesn't have powers right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and, I like her a lot. Yeah.
0: A lot of people thought they were killing the original Valkyrie because they wanted to replace her with a a version that looks more like the the movie version,
1: which I Valkyrie. would have liked. More than this, (laughs) because I think that they should be separate characters. It is being written
0: by Jason Aaron and Al Ewing. So we, I mean, we're pretty much guaranteed it's going to be a solid, solidly written book. Yeah. And the artist is Cafu. I've never heard of this person.
1: Oh, neither have I. Interesting. Hmm. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think anything from Al Ewing and Jason Aaron is a, a buy from me. Right. Um, I also think having an artist attached to a book written by them is probably a vote of confidence from Marvel. So regardless of the fact that neither of us have heard of them, um, I think it's going to be amazing. I just, it seems like a missed opportunity to me.
0: That makes sense. It's probably the news that everyone's like going, wait, what? And biting their fingernails about is uh, Uncanny X-Men ending? Yeah. Wait, it just started. It just <laughs> restarted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if you if you are a reader of AFPTComics.com, you'll know that we had a X-Men month back in November because Uncanny X-Men was coming back. It was gone for a while. I think about a year or two years?
1: It was gone for a while, It was off the yeah. shelves.
0: And it seems like they're hyping the fact that, oh yeah, they're going to put the, uh, the genie back in the bottle? I don't know. It's kind of funny.
1: Yeah, well, July is when the Hickman, Jonathan Hickman's six-issue... Um, House of X and Powers of Ten series start. Both six issues for a total of 12 issues. Kind of a mini slash maxi series event. I don't know if they're actually marketing it as an event. Certainly seems like they are with the Hickman marketing and all that stuff. Um, right. And this happens to coincide exactly with that. The um, Uncanny X-Men number 21 and 22 solicitations carry the uh, text. It all ends here. This is forever. yeah right not in comics folks (laughs) it doesn't say final issue or like the end of Matthew Rosenberg's uncanny X-Men or anything like that but it does say it all ends here and it coincides with Hickman starting what has been marketed as kind of a revamp or a restart for X-Men like six months into a restart for X-Men so Mm -hmm. I don't know it it's hard to read it any other way. And if they're intending to have it read any other way, it's bad marketing.
0: Yeah. It's a bit confusing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's particularly strange too, because we've got characters coming back to life who were dead, long dead, like Logan and Cyclops. So it's like, wait, what, wait, we're ending it already. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. It it seems like it's just a vehicle to get characters into place for a story Hickman wanted to tell maybe. Right. And that is endlessly frustrating to me. Um, I, I typically um, take a, take a big issue with first or second issues over on the site when I review them when I can tell that an, a writer is treading water essentially or that they're just getting characters onto the chessboard.
0: Right? There's no table setting.
1: Yeah, there's no inherently interesting hook to that. Rosenberg has done a really, really good job of actually making this story interesting. And I have seen on Twitter that it is like the most popular Uncanny X story since like Whedon's Astonishing X. Mm -hmm. And if they're suddenly just going to be like, well, it was all place setting for Hickman's, which we've been planning for a really long time. Okay, cool. Why'd you get someone that obviously cares about the X-Men so much and had such a good idea just to do that? I don't know. It's frustrating to me.
0: What's interesting is you know, War of the Realms is wrapping up at the end of June. This is very much a transitional month, July, I think. Mm-hmm. So to see that Akani could be ending or something's ending, to see that new characters are coming out like Valkyrie, there's another character called Swordmaster that's actually spinning out of War of the Realms that's coming out uh, with his own book. Then we've got Acts of Evil Annuals coming out, which I think last week we were talking about the, the teaser.
1: What it could possibly be, yeah.
0: And it, it looks like it's a bunch of annuals but they're connected in some way or are they not connected they're solos aren't they
1: i think they're just solo popular villain snapshots like the super scroll versus miss marvel written by megs visagio that's actually the only one i can recall off the top of my head because they don't look that interesting punisher versus the brood and the covers
0: are meh too like it's not (laughs) yeah it's not it's not worth getting exciting over excited over yet um, and, um, and just to include to that, the Infinity Warps are going to have a, I think, six-part uh, event sort of going through six different, basically, they're like annuals as well. They're also annuals, but they're all kind of telling one longer story. Again, though, who cares?
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: It's a five-part event. Sorry, I, I uh, corrected myself there. Yeah. I mean, I liked some of the affinity uh, Warps that came out, but this was back, what, in... August that this was happening? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess Marvel's just reminding us these warped
1: two duo characters in one character are still around. And I think that they can do that. I think that Marvel has a big enough line that they can have niche stories like this and that people will pick them up and like them. I liked the Ghost Panther Infinity Warp, and I liked the Weapon Hex Infinity Warp both because I like Ghost Rider and Black Panther and because I like X23 and Scarlet Witch if you haven't heard but it's like we're going to do this once a year and there's not really any investment into it aside from oh shit we don't really have anything planned right let's put something on the calendar I guess it's it's weird I don't I don't want to discourage or dissuade anyone from picking them up and I don't want mm-hmm. to speak ill of the creators that they've picked for the stories. I think it's entirely possible that they're going to be good, but it seems like a weird scheduling and marketing snafu where they were like, "We gotta fill a void here."
0: The creative teams on these are interesting. It's all—it looks like it's curated by Al Ewing with like Tim Seeley, Mark Wade, writers like that, Daniel Kibblesmith, mm-hmm. uh, sort of collaborating with him on each one. Yeah. So the collaboration process, and then t- uh, also Jim Zub and uh, Teeny Howard.
1: Yeah, and I love, like, all those people. Al Ewing, Course they're all... Jim Zub, Teeny Howard. Like, I like all of those people a lot.
0: Each one is $5. So if you want to read the whole thing, it's $25. Uh, it's That's a lot of money for a single issue. Although it is an annual, so they're probably a little longer.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Overall, the Marvel solicitation, the solicitations have some interesting reveals but again i feel like it's this odd transitional month for them yeah because they've got the carnage thing coming up and then the month after that and then um you know they're just coming off of war of the realms they did have an interesting teaser that i don't see anyone talking about in the comic book community it's it just simply says 2020 approaches and for the the zeros it's instead of a zero it's a gear which seems to be a reference to Iron Man 2020, a comic that came out in the 80s, early 80s. And in Tony Stark Iron Man this last week, the uh, Tony Stark has to, he puts on this new costume, this new suit, and it looks like the Iron Man 2020 suit in some ways with these big gear shoulders. But this seems to be something that's probably not going to be coming in 2019, though, <laughs> hence the year.
1: Yeah. And, then, I don't know. and they may have picked it entirely based on the year, you know? Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. So yeah, anyway, that's the Marvel solicitations. Uh, I, I recommend going to aptcomics.com and checking out my story on this. I pulled eight takeaways from them. Uh, moving on, though, we have some interesting news in, involving in, Into the Spider-Verse, which is a, one of the best movies of last year, I would say, right?
1: I've seen it more than 15 times. Get out of here. Yeah. Wow. I've I've seen it twice. (laughs) I bought it Amazon Digital the day it came out, and then I also bought the Blu-ray.
0: So we have a fan in the house, folks.
1: Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Don't put words in my mouth, please. Oh,
0: sorry. The co-writer of that, Phil Lord, is going to be writing Spider-Man coming up, which is pretty cool. So Phil is uh, co-writing a part of June 26th Spider-Man Annual number 1. Jason Latour is also writing. And the art is by David LaFuente and Jason Latour himself.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, Jason Latour is, it implies that it would be Spider-Gwen also. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, they're bringing Phil Lord on to do something related to Spider-Verse, be it Spider-Gwen, Noir, Spider-Ham. Um. Yeah,
0: Spider-Ham is in the cover, so it'd be cool Oh, to see. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the Spider-Verse movie have an an extra where there's like a Spider-Ham adventure?
1: There is, yeah. And there's also an alternative um, version of the movie, which is like over two hours long, that has a bunch of additional scenes with him and Penny and Noir. Check that out. Yeah. Um, In comparison to the solicits, this is something that has a much more clarity of vision to me. Like, it makes sense to bring on Latour and Phil Lord and make a connection to something that was wildly successful to them. I mean, it won a fucking Oscar, right? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Compared to that dissonance between how popular Tessa Thompson is and Valkyrie. This makes a lot more sense, I think. And I'm much more excited for it. Obviously, I'm more excited for it because I love Spider-Verse and because I love Spider-Man. But also because it just seems like they're getting the right people into the right place to tell a story that they want to tell.
0: It'll be interesting to see how well he writes. Sometimes folks from either like, you know, the novelist world, the movie world, they come and do a comic and sometimes it can be a little shaky.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: And and, but if he does a great job, I, I mean, that could open a door for Phil Lord doing more comic books, maybe. Mm
1: hmm. And I I think that the movie was so reverent to comics that I'm less worried about it than I might normally be.
0: We know he understands the story. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I hope I don't want to do that.
1: I think.
0: (laughs) Next bit of news: uh, DC Universe is adding 10,000 comics this week to their service. Uh, If you ask me, too little, too late. Uh, (laughs) Why why didn't they just start with 10,000 or whatever? How I don't know how much. Yeah, and it's actually
1: not 10,000 just this week. It's like they yes. committed to putting 10,000 on and they're mm-hmm. ramping that process up this week. It's actually like 2,000, 2,000, 2,000 each week.
0: Do you think, how many interns does it take to scan all those comics? Do you think?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It,
0: you know what's interesting is like most of these comics are probably already on Comicsology or a lot of them. They are. are.
1: That's exactly but, what I was going to say.
0: Amazon's not going to like help them get their files over to DC Universe no, cuz they're a competitor.
1: But they already gave them the comicsology. DC launched oh, with comicsology, comicsology in 2019.
0: So they should have these files somewhere in some folder, right? Right.
1: They've got huh. all sorts of digital flats already in the guided reading view that comicsology uses or whatever, or they've already got them in some sort of, you know, e-ebook, mobi, PDF format. Right. Maybe they don't have the guided view that Comixology uses. And maybe that's the Mm -hmm. part that Comixology does. Mm -hmm. But certainly they have all the digital files. Why is it taking you time aside from trying to keep people on the hook? I guess. I guess. I don't know. Like, there's certain people where, like, you put 10,000 comics on, you do it one week. Certain people are going to stay on because they're like, oh, shit, well, I found this series I want to read, and this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. And And they're just going to stay on until they've read all those series. It doesn't matter when you put them on. You don't need to drip feed them.
0: You know, it's interesting. I've been wondering about DC Universe lately because Disney Plus came out with their pricing. Mm, mm -hmm. And obviously, Disney Plus doesn't have comics, but it does have all their shows that they're going to be producing right now which include marvel shows and and star wars shows sure and are a dollar less a month
1: (laughs) yeah that's true
0: now if you wanted to get all the marvel comics and all the shows obviously you have to pay for marvel unlimited which is
1: outrageously expensive
0: and then disney plus two so competitively dc universe probably has a bit of an edge since you can get all of that for only
1: uh 7.99 i think yeah I don't know, it just sounds like, I don't know, is DC Universe in trouble? Who knows? I mean, it seems like DC in general, and this is a common thread through Mm. a lot of the news we've been talking about and go back to our trending piece from last week where they they don't have to to crib something that I was just saying, a clarity of vision, where they launch a product and then they don't really have an idea of what to do with it going forward. Maybe they have one title that is ready. If you look at like Batman Damned and then you look at Titans for DC Universe and then that doesn't do as well as they thought it would do. Certainly Titans did better towards its tail end. But those initial few episodes were really poorly received and reviewed. Right. Maybe they're just like I think they're overreacting. Mm. And I think that that's a problem that DC seems to have across the board. They're not sticking to a plan. No. And, you know, what's happening instead is that people are getting diminished returns. Right. I would be annoyed if I already had a Comixology subscription and DC was like, well, here's the added value, comics that are also on Comixology. Yeah.
0: It's a hard market to break into because Comixology's owned it for so long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I understand how difficult it is. And obviously it's easy for me to talk into a microphone and say I have all the right ideas, <laughs> but at yeah. the same time it is very strange to observe from the outside. And that's a That consumer. is your right as a podcast co-host. Yeah. You're right, sir. Yeah.
0: <laughs> In our last bit of news, Mark Millar's Space Bandits might not be as original as we think it is. Uh, it came out from Comics Beat. <laughs> they reported uh uh Magdalene Visaggio tweeted hey wait a minute the cover art looks kind of familiar yeah to a comic that she wrote called shit it's kim and kim back in 2016 and i mean obviously cover art curbing Co- cover art is one thing right but is the is the story itself a little too similar to other sci-fi yeah. stories with two <laughs> yeah yeah in- and i mean obviously I, I'm going to guess that Mark Millar probably just tells Netflix, I'm doing this, and they're like, cool. <laughs> they don't even, like, double-check.
1: Yeah, I think that that's and probably the case.
0: I have a feeling Mark Millar, I mean, he's probably a pretty respectable dude. He's probably not trying to crib anyone. Sure, sure. But at the same time, like, you know, it's it's sometimes it's easy for us to steal without even knowing it because we're constantly being bombarded with content.
1: Yeah. And then there's also, um, you know... I think Megs was totally in her own right to tweet at Mark and say, hey, we should talk. Mm -hmm. And then there's another series that came out um, a a while ago from Dark Horse called Bounty, which Mm -hmm. is also about two women um, collecting bounties in space. That's like a high sci-fi girl fun comic. Right. Um, And so it's indicative of how close these stories can be and how similar... Their cover art can be Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: how you might not even realize that you've pulled an idea from somewhere. And I certainly don't want to imply any malicious intent on Mark's part. But at the same time, he is entered into this partnership with Netflix where they have to be exceedingly careful because they're being sued for Stranger Things right now. They are? Why? There, I don't know about this. Um, there is a um, creator who has said that Netflix and the two showrunners, um, the Duff Brothers, the mm-hmm. Duff Brothers behind Stranger Things, stole his idea. Oh, oh yes. I think I did hear yeah. this. But
0: it hasn't really been a big thing in the news because it's still kind of ongoing. Right?
1: Yeah. So basically, Netflix and the Duff Brothers asked to have it dismissed. And a court said, no, it's going to go forward. Um, the interesting hook here is that I don't think that the original creator, and I may be wrong about this. I don't think that the original creator actually had anything drafted or produced. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've seen a lot of creators on Twitter and on Facebook and in a couple of like artist communities that I'm in really concerned about this. Like, this is why we say you can't email us your ideas for our comics. Right, right, right. Because if you just have an idea and you send it to me and I see it, but I've already scripted something way down the line that's similar, mm-hmm. and then you think it's your idea that I acted on, you can sue me.
0: Especially in America.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially especially in America. Right? And I don't know necessarily that Mark Millar has done that. I don't want to say that he has. I don't want to say that Megs Visagio is saying that he has. I don't want to say that Dark Horse is going to eventually sue either of them. But I do want to say that you have to be conscious of how close things are to each other. And you have to do your due due diligence when you create something. And I think that especially so when big, big, big companies like Netflix are involved, they have the resources to help you investigate the market and to investigate stories and to find what's out there. And that you have a duty to do so. Um, yeah, ri- original IP is more valuable than ever, I would say, because of
0: all these services, right. all these publishers. There's more people telling stories than ever.
1: Right, absolutely. And I, as much as I like Mark Millar, and I think that he has a right to have this Millar world thing with Netflix, which he has, you know, Prodigy is going to be a TV show, and it sounds like Space Bandits is too, I... Think that there's an opportunity to partner with Megs, who is a trans woman, writing comics and creating comics, one of the characters of which in the series is a trans woman, for more representation. And Mm -hmm. had they done their due diligence and found that, they may have just adapted it. But this is from his mind. He's the genius. (laughs) Right. And that's that's the thing that bothers me in the end, I think. It's like, you know, when
0: Millar World came out, I was like, God, you have to have a bit of an ego to do that.
1: Yeah. Pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's the inherent problem, I think. Right. It's like, it's a revocation of the idea that other people have had similar ideas to you, but they have.
0: Every story we read influences us, right? Yeah. You know, two stories influenced me that came out last week. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. We're, we're entering now the Top Books of Last Week segment yeah, of our was show. Hot.
1: <laughs> tell me, tell me who influenced our um, fans and critics first? Can you tell me that, Tim? I'm going You to tell me. Sorry. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me right now. Oh,
0: so according to ComicBookRoundup.com, uh, the number one rated critic book was Little Bird Number Two with a 9.6 by Darcy Van. Oh no, Polgeist. Polgeist and Ian Bertram.
1: Yeah. God, uh, he's so good.
0: At aptcomics.com, we had a reviewer actually give it a high, high score with a ten. Uh, Ari, and the the writer actually tweeted out uh, that he was like emotional over this review. He liked it so much. So good job, Ari. Uh, Ari. And uh, yeah, I haven't read it. <laughs> I did flip through it last week. It looks really, really cool.
1: I will read this in trade. Um, yeah. I, I I make. I know. I say that a lot. But I'm making a blood pact with this podcast to read this and trade because I fucking love Ian Bertrand.
0: Yeah, it's highly visual, very, very, yeah. very cool, very different, very indie. And that's from Image Comics. And then the fan rated book, the highest rated book from fans, according to Roundup.com, was Miles Morales, Spider Man number no. five with a 9.4. And that's written by Saladin Ahmed and Javi, and the artist by Javi Garon. This is a series, I actually reviewed the first two issues, and I think Ahmed is doing a fantastic job writing Miles, and this part of Miles' life, because now he's in boarding school, he's a little older, a little wiser, a little bit more of a hero, but still still a kid in some way, he's Mm -hmm. still a teenager, Mm -hmm. he's still learning his ways, and in the first arc, there's like a rhino team-up. Yeah, it's so good! Yeah. And yeah, the way he uh, writes Rhino is quite good, too. I mean, obviously he's a villain, but in this moment, they're working together for a common cause. Yeah,
1: I really love the Miles being like, look, dude, I don't want to beat you up if you can help me. And Rhino being like, oh, okay, are you sure? He's like, which Spider-Man are you? Most people don't say that. Are you like a kid or something? (laughs) Right, right. It's really good. It's really good.
0: So, definitely check those out. And I would, and I, just yeah. going
1: back to that real quick, I would mm-hmm. say if you have seen Spider Verse and loved it, mm. but you don't know where to get started with Spider Man comics, start with this.
0: That's a good, that's a good is, take, yeah. It
1: is the best possible spin out I can think of for someone out of Spider Verse. It feels like the most organic connection from that.
0: Right. And it's not. Tied to too much continuity, no you have to know uh, too much
1: to get into it I would you could maybe read a plot synopsis of Spider Get in, which would I guess spoil what they might do in the movies coming up, but aside from that you' you're good to go mm-hmm yep,
0: for, are you good to go to tell us your second pick for best
1: comic oh, week? Oh sure me <laughs> me, I do okay. um Meet the Scrolls number three, written by Robbie Thompson with art by Nico Henry Kong. Um, I've talked about why I like Meet the Scrolls number three, or <laughs> I've talked about why I like Meet the Scrolls on this podcast before, so I'm not yep. gonna talk at length about it. It continues to be a very authentically emotional and surprising comic that I think teases out a much bigger story than the story they're actually telling in the um in the micro view. Uh, Very well. Um, The father figure, the scroll father figure, keeps having these flashbacks to something that happened on the scroll homeworld. And that's been like ramping up, especially so throughout this issue. And to tell a story like in hindsight or in a macro view like that is very, very difficult because you're doing this thing that's in media res where it's like flashing back to something where you're like, wait, is he having visions? Mm. Is he like. Does he have precognition or something like that? Most I, of the time, he, he is, is an alien, <laughs> right? And, and it's especially confusing when they're not people. Right. Um, and and sometimes I'm like really thrown by that in comics, but I think the way that Thompson has scripted it and the way that Henry Kahn has brought it to life is really, really well done. And you can see that though, that they act very hard. Um, externally and, and even internally, that all of these scrolls are much more emotionally vulnerable and compromised than they think that they are, and I think that that's very well done and it's very human um and the cliffhanger on this episode was an absolute fucking banger i I
0: did, I did not see that coming <laughs> I read
1: a um I read a bit from the second issue last time we had the show uh, last time Meet the Scrolls came out where the father said. Sometimes I don't think you're a scroll at all to the the daughter who is the most outwardly emotional, I guess. Something happens at the end of this issue where she does some she does some badass shit and the family comes upon her and she looks right at them and says, "Am I a scroll now?" It's cool and it feels badass, but it also feels like someone's stepping up in a way that actually harms them a lot more than it does good for them. Right. They don't want to be
0: this way, but they're doing it to prove something.
1: Right. You know, the same way like gladiators or warrior races might do. And I think that that's the story that Thompson is trying to tell. Um, and it, it's very, very good.
0: Yeah, I also like this issue as well. Um, I can't wait to see where it goes. Do we know if how many issues
1: it's going to be? It's supposed to be five five issues. Or
0: almost um, oh, we're, past, we're past the midpoint.
1: This is past the midpoint um and I'm I'm really hoping that there's like a sequel series or something.
0: I think it was the second issue we see the father mowing the lawn and then like he's thinking about the time he was a scroll in a spaceship. And I thought to myself, how does he handle using a push mower when he was once in a spaceship that could like probably yeah. go light speed? <laughs> yeah. I could definitely see this being a really cool TV show on Disney Plus eventually.
1: Yeah, I think so. It reminds me a lot of the Americans. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Another sci-fi book, which is my second pick
0: that came out last week, is High Level Number 3 by Rob Sheridan and art by Barnaby Bagenda. This is from DC Vertigo. It's part of their big uh, reboot of sorts that they were hyping last year at San Diego Comic-Con. And this third issue is very good at sort of fleshing out the world some more. The main character is currently trying to get this little girl up to high level, back to high level. She was kidnapped out of high level, and for some reason they need to get her back. And she also has, like, superpowers where she can, like, find secret stores of weapons and open doors, electric doors that haven't opened in hundreds of years. She's only, like, I think she's only, like, seven or eight years old. This issue it starts to like show you the flora and fauna of the world. It shows you how people are living. It's definitely got a bit of a Mad Max feel to how things are run down. Everyone lives basically in Canada now because of global warming and sea levels rising and high levels. Actually, I think if you look at the map, it's around Alaska. And so they're on their way there. Obviously people want to capture this little girl. She's got this ability to find very expensive weapons that they could be sold and and used against people that are hidden from ancient wars hmm cool yeah. yeah 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 and the the art is really good it's very unique it's very colorful I like the colors a lot and um yeah i I'm, I'm i'm very interested to see what happens when they get to high level because in the first issue we basically get two different points of view on what high level could be one thing one person is like oh it's like heaven everyone is like fed and there's there's no there's no war there's no worries you're just kind of like in this
1: valhalla type thing yeah
0: yeah like utopia and then another person was like oh no no it's not good like robots rule or whatever and like we're all being chewed up and used as energy probably it's going to be the latter (laughs) knowing this uh this is pretty this is basically like a darker sci-fi sort of story so i can imagine it getting really scary
1: once they get to high level but we'll see anyway uh, I think it's highly enjoyable. Have you checked this out yet? I have not, but I will because the uh, writer Rob Sheridan worked with Nine Inch Nails, my favorite band, for a very long time.
0: Yeah, I saw after Captain Marvel came out, he was commenting on how... She wears a Nine Inch Nail shirt. And she could t- he could tell that she was uh, wearing a knockoff, not his original. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like joy and also frustration, I'm sure he had there. Yeah. So what's your number one pick for the week?
1: My number one pick is Age of X-Men, next gen, number three, written by Ed Brisson with art by Marcus Toe. I think that this is the most consistently enjoyable and also um, well-scripted Age of X-Men spinoff so far. I like um, Amazing Nightcrawler. I also like Marvelous X-Men. I think the other ones are fine. Um, I actually like extremists as well. I think the other ones are fine. Um, Mm -hmm. This one has to also call back to the beginning a clarity of vision that I really, really enjoy. And I don't mean that the vision is in the comic. (laughs) But rather that Ed Brisson has constructed a story that is being teased out over these issues in a very logical way. Um, it's a it's kind of like a game of Clue, where you're finding out who knows what and who's watching who, and does Glob know that people know that he knows, and does Anol know that people know that he knows, and does Dean Angel know that people know that he knows, um, and and there's there's this kind of like youth against the the old guard type thing that I really like a lot and that I think that Brisson has carried over from Uncanny X-Men Disassembled. There was a lot of tension between Armor and Rockslide and Anole and that wave of younger X-Men in Disassembled and it was actually my favorite part of those first ten issues. There was this really difficult ebb and flow where they were telling Gene like you need to let us have a voice you can't call us X-Men and then say that we're not equal, you know, um, and it, or that if we're students, at what point have we learned? At what point do we become teachers? And I feel like Next Gen is a really good continuation of that, right? I because they they were X Men, but now in this universe, they're just students. Back right? to students, right? Yeah. Which is actually how the X Men treat them in the quote unquote normal world, right? So it feels like a really good externalization of the way that the students feel and the way that the X-Men have actually always seen them and the way that a- that X-Man, Nate Gray, feels about them or has picked up on how the X-Men feel about them. Um, it really externalizes that tension super, super well. And I also love that Glob has a group of chickens that he talks to. What are their names again? Uh... Gene is one of them. Gene, Logan, and um, Scott, I think?
0: I think so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think that there's also an interesting, like, this utopia is broken angle with those chickens where pretty much every realization someone has had is while interfacing with nature. Oh, that's a good point. Um, they go out and they reflect and they talk to the chickens and Glob is out there feeding the chickens. And that seems like a silly little throwaway joke, but they're actually out there kind of entering this meditative state where they're away from the propaganda and the buildings and the structure, the formalism of Nate Gray's creation. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, well said. And whether or not that's intentional... It certainly still seems to work very well um, and I like it.
0: Yeah, cuz this is the second issue in a row where a character is outside
1: with Glob talking to him at yeah. length. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and it was also in um the Age of x men Alpha Glob was out in the garden when it was kind of implied that he knew what was going on still. Right. Um right. and so there's a there's a commonality in the in that in that visual mm-hmm. um that I like a lot.
0: You know, it's funny to mirror your pick. My pick is also in like an alternate reality (laughs) or the story is anyway. Spider-Man life story number two by Chip Zdarsky and art by Mark Bagley, which is an Elseworlds tale about Spider-Man's life. If it was taking place, actually starting in the 60s and he actually was growing uh, older in real time. So this story takes place in the 70s. Vietnam is still raging on. But what Zdarsky has done here is that he's basically saying, what if Vietnam affected this character way more than he than it did originally? And I don't even think Vietnam was involved in the original Spider-Man runs, right? Probably no, not.
1: Not Like in the periphery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But then as we know, there's a sliding scale with the timeline in the main universe where, you know, Peter is still only, what, 32, 33? Mm-hmm. But, you know, 60 years ago, <laughs> he was... He was still, uh, you know, sixteen or whatever. So anyway, this—have you read this yet, Forrest? I have not.
1: So, are, are, have you read the first one? I did. I did pick up the cool. first one. And I liked it a lot.
0: So the reason uh- why this is my pick is Zadarsky is like taking all of this lore, all the stories that we know about Spider-Man, and sort of mixing it up and going, what would happen if Captain America went to Vietnam, fought? And realized he was on the wrong side, and started helping and saving each side. So he's like not even—he's not fighting for the Viet Cong, he's not fighting for the Americans. He's sort of in the middle, and that's been going on for like ten years. When issue two picks up, Uh, not to spoil too much, but in the first two pages we find out Flash Thompson's died, which affects Peter obviously. He's married to Gwen Stacy again. We find this out in the first two pages, but as the story unfolds, we learn like Peter's working with some folks that you wouldn't you'd be a little surprised by there's a very, I don't want to spoil it. There's a very important part of Spider-Man's history that a lot of people hate that happened in the (laughs) nineties. You could probably guess what that is. Mm -hmm. That is integrated into the story really well. And it's, it's basically like a remix of Spider-Man stories we've known before, but under this sort of line of thinking of the Vietnam war sort of changing Mm -hmm. how Mm Spider-Man lives Mm Mm-hmm. Mary Jane's also in this issue, and it's there's a key scene with her. It's all building up to the next issue, issue three, where Spider-Man was going to be getting the symbiote costume. Awesome. So yeah. things have already shifted and changed by the time we get to issue three. So basically what's interesting is the first issue was like a very slight change, I feel like. Yeah, I thought so too. But it's just snowballing. So issue two is like, whoa, things are really shifting. And by the time I finished the issue, and I said this in my review at aptcomics.com, I could see Zdarsky or another writer taking this universe and just exploring it even further because Zdarsky packs the second issue with a lot of really cool reveals, a lot of hints at what's going on in the bigger universe. And it just makes your imagination run wild with this interesting new thread that he's sort of showing us.
1: No, that sounds really cool. I'm I'm very excited to pick it up. Um, And I also think that the covers, even though I, I kind of... Didn't do a great job of explaining why last week because I got mad about racists. Um, the covers to these stories are, these issues are like the best Spider-Man covers I've ever seen. Bar yeah, they non- really, yeah. really
0: artistic and expressive. Yep. Oh, and it's just, it, I might as well point this out too. When I started reading comics, it was Mark Bakley drawn comics. So <laughs> it feels really cool to see him still doing these characters yep. just as good as he did in the 90s.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome.
0: Okay, guys. In our next segment, which is a fun segment we've done two or three times now?
1: A handful it's of times. S- yeah,
0: and it's, you know, it's my favorite segment. It's called Square Up, where we take a Marvel character and a DC character and have them duel. But not like you think. Not just fighting, no. We take uh, the Super Fight card. This is a game, Super Fight. We draw randomly draw a card and have them compete in however this card says.
1: I got the deck right here. Ooh, some oh. ASMR. <laughs> I got the I got the yellow superfight deck. Not a sponsor, but if you hear this. Yes, but if you like what you hear,
0: you know. Yes. We're not going to turn you down. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to pick a DC character. Okay. All right, Hal Jordan. Okay. And now I'm going to pick a Marvel character. Wolverine.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, let me shuffle the cards here. <laughs>
0: They have slightly different
1: powers. <laughs> uh oh. Best at weaponized go kart racing. Wow. What? So, I never even thought of that. So, best at Mario Kart. But in real life. But in real life, yeah.
0: I think the, the answer is obvious, isn't it? I mean, Green Lantern can create anything out of his ring and just use those as weapons against Wolverine. All he's got is claws. He only has arm distance to attack Green Lantern from his cart. Mm -hmm. Am I right or am
1: I right? Am I right? 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 Oh, man. I just feel like you can't ever get Wolverine to stop, bub. Oh, that's true. Like, Hal could do whatever. You can make a ramp and flip the go-kart. But Wolverine's just going to get out of the car. You know, like, or he's going to be fine. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Wolverine potentially wins on technicality. Why is that? Because he catches up to Hal, cuts the tires, and then sprints over the finish line because his body is unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Wolverine is unbreakable. Also, he has a cowboy hat, and I like his cowboy hat.
0: He, does, he definitely has a better look than Green Lantern in his green lan- leotard.
1: Is it Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern? Because I just want Wolverine <laughs> to win if it's Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern. That would be a really good revenge for all the, the knocks
0: yeah. at Wolverine in the latest Deadpool movie.
1: It would be really good revenge for a lot of things related to Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern, I think. I think the only way for this battle to work is if
0: Animantum can pierce a construct.
1: Yeah, yeah. and i Is there anything that says that it can't? But wait, we're forgetting something. What's that? Hal
0: Jordan is a pilot. The guy knows... Oh, how fuck. Yeah. Him. Yeah, right? So Wolverine, I don't think Wolverine, besides a motorcycle, uh, he doesn't have the kind of skills that Hal might have. He might be able to flip this freaking cart up in the air, do a 360,
1: still land in yeah. front of Yeah. It's tricky. Shit. I feel like Wolverine <laughs> would have a cool car. Like, I feel like Wolverine oh, would see. have a cooler car. All style. But would not win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just really like Gordon, Wolverine's super, this yeehaw angle that he's leaning into right now, I like a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's got better attitude.
1: And I just really hate that Ryan Reynolds movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know I, who I'm, likes it. I'm, I'm playing my cards right here, out right now i know green lantern would win and i'm fine with that but i just want to get a final word in which is one that wolverine is cooler Mm -hmm. and two that movie's really bad it's worse than wolverine origins
0: oh yeah yeah i would say so yeah and logan had the best last movie too
1: true (laughs) because he got another
0: chance dc wins this week folks mark it on your calendars (laughs) <laughs> so, so in our next segment we're going to be talking about our top books for next week, the books we're looking forward to the most I'm going to go first, because I feel like it hit it I can't wait for Doctor Strange number 13 by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson The this is the second part of a story arc where basically Doctor Strange is fighting a magical Galactus Okay, I kind of just spoiled the first issue in the arc but issue number 13 out next week it has like an old school look and feel. The art's not hyper detailed. It's more like 90s. It's it's the kind of art you would expect from a book that's basically celebrating Marvel's 80th year, which is going on all year. So it seems fitting. And on top of all this, Mark Wade, in the first 13 issues now has, or 12 issues so far, has done a fabulous job making Doctor Strange awesome again. Like he's... He doesn't have any magical issues. He can't. He can still get it up, <laughs> <laughs> and literally can create magical weapons now because he knows how to forge magical weapons, which is so cool. Yeah, wavy. But in the first issue, he still fails against another magic wielding alien. Another magic boy. Yeah. Yeah, another magic boy. Which is actually an inventive idea. This alien has like the magic of every magician of his race or something. Like he's like a super duper. Oh, he's like uh, a super
1: um, scroll but for magic.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: He's like a super scroll but for the school of Harry Potter's magic for boys.
0: And he shows up and he's like, Galactus killed my planet, so I'm going to screw Galactus over. And Doctor Strange is like, dude, what? No. And he's like, I'm going to send him to the mystical realm. And Doctor Strange is like, wait a minute. Galactus is a, is a thing of science. He eats planets. If you put him in there, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we know what's going to happen. He's going to probably start eating magical Earths or planets.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And so
0: it's kind of a cool new look at Galactus, obviously. He's never yeah. really had this magic element added to him. And then, you know, obviously Doctor Strange, he's got his mojo back. But Mark Wade is very good at reminding him that his ego gets the best of him. And that's usually the thing that makes him fail first. Mm -hmm. So, and obviously Barry Kitson is a, obviously really important figure in comics over the years. Uh, The first issue was actually drawn by Scott Koblish, I think. But the solicits are saying, or the the summary that was sent out says Barry Kitson's doing the art. So I don't know what's going on with that. That's kind of a funny thing. Hmm. Interesting. I recommend checking it out.
1: Yeah, I really liked. I really liked the uh, first trade of the Mark Wade Doctor Strange. I liked the uh, uh, art was so the good. Forge, quite a bit. Yes, 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 Very yes, good. yes. My pick for the top book for next week is actually a. Um, I believe it's a sixty-four page graphic novel. Um, so not a single issue, not the kind of fare that we're normally picking. Um, it comes out from Aftershock Comics. It's written by Zach Thompson, one of the guys who're writing um, Age of X Men, Marvelous X Men right now, and it has art by Arjuna Susini. I'm sorry if I got your name wrong. It is called The Replacer, and it is a kind of retro horror story about a father who has a stroke and um, is 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 irreparably whatever the same irreparably, <laughs> irreparably different um, mm-hmm. in terms of how he interacts with this family over the course of his interactions with this family one of his children becomes convinced that he has actually been possessed or replaced by a otherworldly demonic alien whatever figure called the replacer I I can't tell from the solicitation whether or not that's true
0: I actually just read this book right before this uh, podcast.
1: Please don't tell me anything. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm very, very excited for it. I saw Zach tweeting about it a while ago. Um, But I think it's indicative of the kind of stories that Zach likes telling where um, the world is as we know it, but the world is as you know it and everyone that you love is the same except for – Um, And I think that that's why Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler's Age of X-Men Alpha and Age of X-Men Marvelous X-Men has been so interesting because it's like, what if everything you knew was the same and you took it all for granted and then something changed and you still felt that it was similar, but there was that nagging anxiety or pit in the bottom of your stomach that told you that something was wrong? Um, And how do you act on it without knowing that there's a right or wrong or a universal truth to that? You know, you can't Wikipedia or Google search, is my dad an alien? Right. Right. Um, And so there's some inherent horror to that. And there's some inherent emotional trauma that makes it very sad and very real and very relatable for people that have felt that way about family members that have been ill, that have taken ill, that have had things happen to them and been irreparably changed, um, be it by depression, uh, bipolar disorder, um, or a stroke, or any any number of things, right? Um, and, and to do so in a way that externalizes that trauma and makes it a little bit alien so that it's more digestible is something that I think, in particular, comics does really, really well and i'm i'm very excited for it because i think thompson has already shown that he's very good at writing things like that it also has a very cool um 80s vhs <laughs> yeah uh cover so didn't uh, and thompson said this is deeply personal to him the story mm i had not seen that but i i would believe it just given the the idea at all yeah the idea of it is is fascinating to me too in that It could be like a
0: coping mechanism a child would have if they had a parent that was really sick and there was a very scary, awful thing that happened. In this story, I think he he has a stroke or something. Did I just spoil something? He does. He does have a stroke. That's in the solicitation. And I mean, if you see someone have a stroke, especially when you're little, like, how do you make sense of that? And so that's the story is, I think, explaining or exploring that and but literally showing you what the, the child might be seeing, or maybe not. Maybe it's actually happening. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I could see this being highly relatable to many. It's pretty, it's a pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool book. Yeah.
1: I, I'm very excited for it. It's one of those you know, things that's like, I don't, I often say this in my reviews where I'm like, it's not necessarily a fun read. Yeah. But it's an important one or it's a very good cathartic one. Um, And that's what I'm expecting this to be. It's a horror story. I think a lot of horror fans will like it. Cool. I I certainly will.
0: So, next up, folks, our next segment is Judging by the Cover Junior, where we pick our favorite cover art that's coming out in the coming days on Wednesday, new comic book day. And you know what? I picked something. It's actually kind of funny because you picked Mitch Gerard's The Flash number 68. Mm, Yes. And I'm picking Mitch Gerard's The Flash number 69 cover art and it's nice. It's, it's a little different. It's actually a lot different. It's it's very retro though. It's which is similar to the last issue uh cover. This is a variant cover and it's just splashed with color. It's really pretty. There's a car driving and in the mirror you can see Flash's face. So Flash would feasibly be behind the car, so behind us from this viewpoint. Mm-hmm. But instead in front of the mirror we see Flash running. Right yeah so he's so fast you see him in two places at once it's pretty it's pretty dope, and the use of color makes it look like just streaks of energy yeah um but even the cars is, is colored. It's almost like the whole world is electrified. It's really striking, which is why I like it so much uh and I think it probably will sell more books,
1: yeah, no, Gerard's is fantastic, and this cover is really, really cool. It's got like the half tones bleeding out of the light up at the top and and mm-hmm. it's it's really cool, I like it. Yeah, the use of light is really cool it looks almost real
0: even though it's not at all because of the use of light
1: oh uh, the flash is real I've seen him <laughs> I've oh, seen yeah? him one
0: time did you did you was it a blink or you'll miss it moment
1: I've seen him one time
0: what's your uh, favorite cover for next
1: week uh, my favorite cover is for an IDW book written by Barb Bobby Cornell with cover art by Simon Gain for a book called Ghost Tree, um, which seems to be some sort of, like, horror book. I think it's about um, a kid returning home to um, pay homage to his family, and he gets caught up in interfacing with this, like, haunted ancestral tree. Hmm. It, It sounds really cool. It sounds really spooky and, again, cathartic and emotional, and I don't... Nothing is wrong in my life, but maybe that's just the kind of stories I'm interested in right now. Um, There is a lot of really fantastic blues and greens on this cover. I really, really like when um, creators do a fantastic job of working what I like to call within a 50-mile radius of themselves. So um, there's a figure in a robe, and it has these white... Pale, inhuman, like stretched skin stretched too thin, hands, and then it um, has this green taut robe pulled over um, a face, and it appears to be a normal skeleton, but it just has a hole for yeah, the peeping. eye rather than like eyes and a mouth and a nose and everything Um, and it's standing atop like this grassy knoll um, with vines and trees and stuff hanging over it and then it has this um, nice kind of like obviously handwritten or um, hand-markered font ghost tree on the right hand side of it and everything aside from the white um, hands and the face is green or blue and they're all like within what I would say is again that 50 mile radius But to work so closely in a palette and make everything feel so different and so um, dynamic and thought out is really, really difficult. And I think Gain has done a really good job of not making it look monochromatic or samey. I think it instead looks like um, considered and spooky. (laughs) Yeah, Um, big words followed by a normal word, (laughs) which is to say Uh that ultimately, I think it looks spooky. Um, I really like it. I think it it tells a story. And it's intriguing in a way that um, I'm not often intrigued by horror covers in so much as I am by this one because I find them a little gaudy or a little gory or a little extra. But this one goes for a quieter, more somber, but still um, intriguing angle.
0: Yeah, it's it's got a creepy vibe to it. I really like how it all kind of frames the title, Ghost Tree, you, the, the environment mm-hmm. on the bottom, the top, and then this figure. And it's interesting to me too, the, the grass that he, this figure is standing on is sort of connected to the tree through the character. Yeah. Putting this line. Right. Yeah. And it's really, it's pleasing to the eye, but once you start to dig into it, you're like, wait, this is creepy. Right,
1: yeah. <laughs> it. You know, initially I was like, oh my God, the guy has a hole for a face. And then I was like, you know, this is really visually pleasing, but also unsettling. Yeah. Um. And it's, it's really hard to nail that like, those are two sides of the same coin, but it's really hard to get a quarter to land on its side so that it stands up type thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think that's, that's really cool.
0: Yeah. Nice art. Pretty good. <laughs> All the words we might've used in this last segment. Spooky. <laughs> in our next segment, again, we are honoring art. It's called panels of purpose, which is actually a column that AIPTcomics.com ran for gosh, over a year before that. It was, um, what was it? What was the column called? Damn it. Um, panels in poor taste. <laughs> Which was like the same column where we talked about the goriest, most offensive art of the week. And then we changed it to Panels of Purpose, which was to more celebrate the coolest art of the week. Or sorry, month. It was a monthly column. And we're kind of bringing it back here on the podcast because I liked it. It's fun. And you know what? There's some really strikingly good art sometimes. And it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, you know it when you see it. And... My pick—that's the from A.I.P.T. A- guarantee. <laughs> guarantee, boom, stamp. My pick is from Avengers: No Road Home, number ten. Uh, the art is by Sean Isaacs, and it is something else. The, this this issue, I recommend reading this issue. Probably need to read the first nine issues of this uh, sort of mini series that was written by Mark Wade, Jim Zub, Al Ewing. Sean did uh, most of the issues. He didn't do all of them, but he did this final one. And I could see why he needed extra time probably to do this, because he fills this book with Marvel heroes. I don't want to spoil it, it, but it involves Vision going up against this Greek goddess known as Nyx. And she's basically like, I am the god of shadow and darkness. You got nothing on me. And he's like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) You're actually quite weak. And that creativity and light and life, it all comes from bright light, like, like the, you know, positivity in a sense. And in this amazing panel, which isn't really a panel, actually, it's a double page spread, but I'm going to call it a panel. <laughs> we have so many heroes on the page and they're all sort of like collaged in a way where your eye goes to the top left where there's a word bubble that says the house of ideas Oh, that's interesting. And then you move over the fantastic and then at the bottom left the astonishing and then at the bottom right the amazing and of course spider Man's right next to that one. And we've got X-Men, we've got Ghost Rider, we've got Black Panther, we've got Ant-Man, we've got Wolverine, we've got Namor, we got Doctor Strange. It's just an insane double page spread. And the whole thing and this issue itself feels like it's all an ode to Marvel and the House of Ideas. This this publisher that we've been reading for our whole lives we love, we don't want it to ever end and in this comic, it's about Vision going, yo, creativity, positivity, life, it's all the Marvel way. This is why we read these books, because of all these amazing characters, and Sean is just on a fabulous job, not only capturing each character in their own right, but having this this collage of characters come together, and in a couple different little moments, we see Nyx getting her butt kicked. <laughs> Getting slapped in the face by Cyclops' blast and seeing She Hulk punch her in the gut. She can't, she, at the, up until this point, she thought she was going to win and she can't. She can't fight the might that is all of the greatness that is Marvel Comics and all their characters. So, yeah, that's my pick for Panels of Purpose.
1: Okay. I had a really cool moment from War of the Realms number two that was artistic, but I didn't want to spoil it. So, you're all welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also picking a different. Ish uh, thing, a different panel from War of the Realms number two, though, written by mm-hmm. Jason Aaron. You, you've got uh, Wolverine on the left-hand side, appropriately short, not something that is always executed, y'all. That's true. Um, and I say y'all because he's got <laughs> my favorite Logan outfit on, which is cowboy boots, tight blue denim jeans, a white t-shirt, and what appears to be a straw cowboy hat on. <laughs> And uh, to the right-hand side is Punisher. And uh, piled up all around them are the dead bodies of Dark Elves um, because Malekith is waging war on Brooklyn. And uh, Punisher says, Wolverine, heard you were dead. And Wolverine says, nah, just really drunk for a long time. How have things been with you, Frank? And uh, you look over to Punisher, and Punisher's holding up his gun. And he says, I'm reloaded. And Wolverine returns. Right. Good catching up.
0: It's two simple men doing the (laughs) simplest thing (laughs) possible.
1: Like, and and this is in the midst of like all out hell throughout this issue. Like it is one of the edgiest, goriest issues I've seen from what is like a mainline event Marvel book in a while. Um, Mm -hmm. And these dudes are just taking a little breather. (laughs) You know, <laughs> uh, standing standing in the wreckage of what they do very well, um, but it, it really indicates wh- that Aaron gets these characters, you know. Um, and I, I also just there's, there's a little bubble with Wolverine with the cowboy hat on at the beginning of every issue of War of the Realms, and and maybe no one finds this as funny or as interesting as I do. And I know it's from Infinity Watch and all the other stuff, but that little cowboy hat, like every fucking time I see it, I go yeehaw. Like nice. it's so good. Um, it just you know, Frank and Logan would not say anything else to each other, and to right. they write get each other, and to write any more than that, I would be like, mm, nope, you messed up. Like, like even for one of them to say I missed you, I would be like, nope, wrong. I don't um, think it's a
0: stretch to say they are the biggest murderers. <laughs> when it comes yeah, to Marvel comics. Yeah, that's probably and, true. And heroes, I guess yeah. you'd also call them.
1: Um, and uh, uh, I, I think Aaron really nailed it. I, yeah, I like they, it.
0: they're a great part of the... Of, I, I'm actually glad that Punisher's so important to War of the Realms because he could easily have been forgotten considering the villains are so powerful.
1: Can't stop guns. Mm-mm, One of the cause... Dark Elves actually says that they're weak yeah. to iron and right. he has so much... Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, funny. yeah, I, you know, it's good. It, it feels right. I like when people get it.
0: Yeah, Aaron definitely has a really good grip of these heroes, too. Like, they're all sound and act as they should. So, guys, it's the end of our show. And we have one more segment, and it's the Off Topic Top Shelf. And today, it's my chance to tell you about something I'm really enjoying right now, and it's HBO's Barry. It's In the second season, it stars Bill Hader as a hitman who doesn't want to be a hitman anymore. He killed enough. He's sick of it. He wants to be an actor, and he's in an acting class, uh, Henry Winkler's acting class. His name is Cousineau in the show. And I've been reviewing this for aptcomics.com. I can say I watched tonight's episode already and reviewed it. <laughs> and it's, it's a banger. It's a really good episode. Basically, I like to compare the show to Breaking Bad in that it manages to be funny and dramatic and deeply emotional with its characters. Cool. Yeah. But it's, it's a little less serious as Breaking Bad. People aren't when they get murdered, it's more for comedic relief rather than, oh man, that guy's a badass. You know what I mean? It's not glorifying violence at all. It's not glorifying being a, a bad person because really it's the other side of it. Barry, the main character wants to be a good person wants to stop murdering wants to just be normal and it's really hard because not only was he in the war in afghanistan as a soldier and seen some shit and killed some people but you know he carried that lifestyle to back to america as a hitman and he's finally trying to plant some roots and get out of it but like many movies and tv shows we've seen where people are trying to get out of it get out of that gangster lifestyle the the uh Illegal lifestyle. It's too hard. It's it's almost impossible.
1: Yeah, and you know, I actually, that
0: cool. I got to interview one of the actors who plays probably the funniest character in the show. His name's uh NoHo Hank. The character, the actor is Anthony Carrigan. Um, I got to interview him a week ago or so, and we got to talk about Barry. And I highly recommend you check out the interview because he actually, I actually asked him about superhero stuff a little bit because he's actually played the mist in the flash show. And he, he played Victor Zaz in the, in, in uh, Gotham.
1: Zaza Gabor.
0: Yeah, he is uh he's solid. He's just so funny. So anyway, yeah, I recommend Barry. It's a cool. great show. Yeah. I'll
1: check it out. I, you know, I like uh, knowing that there's other things that HBO is offering because just paying for a game of Thrones subscription feels weird.
0: Yeah. and no, everybody's doing it. I, I was, tr- I was actually getting my subscription in last Sunday, right before the episode of game of Thrones came on. Mm. It was everything was broken. Nothing was working.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's it's cool that they have other stuff.
0: Yeah, Veep is also a pretty solid. Veep show. Veep is
1: fantastic. Yeah, that is true. Yes, but that's ending. So I didn't. It wanna, is. I didn't want to call that out in particular. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think Barry was just renewed for a third season. So cool. And it won it won two Eisners. Uh, Eisners. It won two Emmys last year.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So this is the end of our show. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe. Please like it. Please share. Yeah. Uh, We have a lot of fun doing it. And I'm sorry if 17 is an issue for you, (laughs) you heptadecaphobists. But don't be afraid of this podcast. No, 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 no.
1: In fact, I have an ask for everyone that has made it this far into the show. Go to Apple Music. Log out Mm -hmm. of your account. Mm Mm-hmm. Create a second Burner account. (laughs) This is illegal. And subscribe to the show again.
0: Be the criminal you want to be.
1: And download it twice and review us twice. (laughs) Which, in fact, nets us no gain, but makes me feel good. Yeehaw! There you go. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks, y'all.